0: Welcome to Marvel Us. I'm your host, Tom Laurie, joined by my sister,
1: Leona Laurie.
0: And today we're talking about From 2021, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton and written by Dave Callahan, Destin Daniel Cretton, and Andrew Lanham, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. <laughs> Would you like to recap the plot of this movie that we just saw?
1: Sure, Tom. I'd be delighted. So, uh, Sean is a suspended adolescent uh, of Chinese descent living in San Francisco, and he's BFFs with Katie Aquafina, and she also is a suspended adolescent. They're 25. They're valet car parkers. They have nothing going on except for a good time. And Sean has no family and never has in the time that Katie's known him, which is 10 years since high school. And Katie lives with her multi-generational family who feel frustrated about her lack of direction and her grandma wants her and Sean to get married. And they're just going along, doing their own thing, in this laid-back, suspended-adolescent kind of way until one day, on the bus to work, some thugs pick a fight with Sean. Now, we've already heard Katie explain to their teen, their high school friend and her husband, about how she met Sean by stopping him from getting in a fight that he couldn't possibly win with a jock at their high school. And so she sees these thugs trying to pick a fight with him, and she's like, this guy can't fight, take a look at him, he's a weak and then uh, the thugs ignore her and fight him, and it turns out he's not a weakling. He is a kung fu dynamo, and he kicks the asses of all the thugs, and over the course of this fight on one of those like long bendy buses they have in San Francisco, Katie saves the day with her hardcore driving skills, and he saves the day, and all of the passengers on the bus who aren't involved in the fight... Um, by fighting off all of the thugs, including one guy who has a um, machete attachment for his arm. And uh, in the fight, he loses a special pendant that his late mother gave him, which she told him when a child, when he was a child, would always help him find his way home. And his performance in this fight is caught by a um, influencer with a large uh, online following. So, it's not an anonymous thing. He becomes known as Bus Boy, and she is the driver. And he realizes that these men have been sent by his father to make him come home, or to get him, or something. And has to explain to Katie, "I'm not just a guy called Jean. I'm actually Shang." And then she makes fun of him for having picked a secret identity that is one letter away from his actual identity and tells him no wonder your dad could find you. So he explains my real name is Shang-Chi and my father is a thousand year old warlord who has trained me to be an assassin and he started training me when I was seven and my mom died and um, she was from a magical village in a bamboo forest and from a village in a different dimension that has all sorts of magical creatures in, and when she decided to marry my dad, he gave up his 10 magical rings that he wears as bracelets that give him eternal life and loads of fight powers, and she gave up her village because they wouldn't have them, and they started a simple life together of wholesome family living in what used to be his dad's military warlord compound, but became their sweet little family home with Zen Garden and whatnot. Uh, And then one night, a bunch of bad guys from his father's old life came, and his mother did her best to fight them off and protect her children because dad wasn't home, but she did get dead in that fight. Um, And then after that, his dad just was sorry he ever took off his kick-ass rings, put them back on, and started training Shang-Chi to be an assassin and ignoring his sister because she reminded him too much of their mother. So when he was 14, Shang-Chi's father sent him on a mission to kill somebody for the first time, and he was so upset by it that instead he went on the run, and that's when he wound up in San Francisco pretending to be Sean and being friends with Katie, and it's been 10 years since then. So Katie's like, all right, well... I'm not letting you off the hook from being my friend just because you've got this secret life I didn't know anything about. And Sean's like, well, I got this postcard from my sister, and I think she's in Macaw, and so I'm going to go there because if they came for me, probably they're going to come from her for her now too. So Katie insists on going with him. They go to Macaw together, and while they're there, it turns out that his sister has... Uh, run away from home as well. She did it a few years after Sean disappeared when she was 16, when she realized he was never coming back to be with her again. And since her father wouldn't share his empire with her, she started her own. And now she runs this, like, cool fight club in a giant building um, that has loads of gambling associated with it and also a lot of, like, superhuman and alien kind of things happening in the battle cages. And so when Sean and Katie show up, Sean signs something in the elevator on the way in, and it turns out that he's signed a contract to fight in the main ring. And the guy who brings them in says, I'll help you find your sister after you do this fight. So um, the guy takes Sean's shirt away, and Sean watches Wong of Doctor Strange fame, uh, win a fight with some alien creature, and... The
0: Abomination from the Hulk movie. Okay. They redesigned him to look like his comic counterpart rather than um big fleshy bone monster, but also did not bring back Tim Roth to voice him or give him likeness, which I found kind of weird and annoying, because in that Hulk movie, the big uh, distinction between Hulk and Abomination... Was it Abomination still talked after he turned into a monster man? Hmm. Well, Hulk did, you know, Hulk smash kind of stuff. Right. And uh, instead, he just grunts and does Hulk smash kind of stuff in this. Well,
1: accurate. Anyway, after Wong wins that fight, uh, Sean enters the ring, and it turns out his opponent is his sister. She kicks his ass, um, and then they go back to her office, and he's like, Hey, if these guys came for me, they're coming for you, and they want your pendant. And she's like, Oh, whatevs. I didn't send you that postcard. And then all of their dad's thugs show up and she's like, bye. And she and her henchmen take off in an elevator and she flips them the bird. And uh, then Sean and Katie are like, "Uh uh-oh, we got to figure our own way out. So Sean breaks a window and starts trying to get Katie down to the ground floor of this skyscraper by that scaffolding that's all over the exterior. But the um, fighters who come after them are too skilled and... uh, Then this one kabuki mask-wearing guy who was like the nemesis of Sean during his training shows up adding some psychological distress to this physically distressing moment. And fortunately, Sean's sister shows back up at that time too to help fight off these bad guys so that they can get away. And ultimately, they all get away safely, but the bad guys... Uh, Oh, no, wait, they are getting away, and then the bad guys get her pendant, and then also their dad walks in, and he's like, Hey, kids, I've known where you were the whole time. Uh, Now it's time for you to come home to me because your dead mother has started talking to me. She told me that she's being held hostage by her family in her interdimensional village in a cave, and so we need to go save her. And then the kids are like, you're delusional, that can't actually be happening. And their dad's like, you know what, I'm just going to go get her and then um, you'll see that I was right. And so uh, he puts them and Katie into a jail cell in his compound where they meet the Mandarin who has been there ever since uh, their father got him away from prison so he could execute him for impersonating their father because their father is the actual Mandarin as well as a bunch of other identities that he's had over the thousand years he's been warlording. Um, This Mandarin came to get executed, but while he was about to get executed, he went into a Macbeth monologue and it was so dazzling to uh, Shang-Chi's father that instead he's been kept in this jail cell and brought out to do Shakespearean performances for the troops every month, I think he said, or every week. Anyway, uh, he's a big hit with the warlord's troops, and he's befriended one of the creatures from Shang-Chi's mother's magical village. It is a furry butt with legs and chicken mm-hmm. wings, and its name is Morris, and apparently the Mandarin has been there so long that Trevor, uh, that he's learned how to speak to Morris, and is able to convey to them that Morris knows the way to their mother's Uh, village, and that if they sneak out right then, Morris can get them there ahead of their dad, and they can warn the villagers that he's coming um, to do them in. Um, And that he is crazy also. And so, they steal the car that belongs to Machete Arm. His actual name is Razor Fist, I think.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, Morris does successfully lead them through the bamboo forest, and they get to Uh, The entrance to the magical land their mother comes from and that is where they meet their aunt and they are welcomed by the villagers once they explain what's going on and spend the next three days in active training where Katie finds out that she has natural talent as an archer. Uh Shang-Chi's sister is told, You don't have to exist in the shadows anymore. You can train on your own. Girls have equal power to boys in our society. And Shang-Chi but
0: Your brother has like extra power, so <laughs> get, yeah. get out of the way.
1: <laughs> Shang-Chi gets a lesson from his aunt in the more mystical form of martial arts that his mother practiced, which includes some sort of like leaf manipulation. So <laughs> After three days, their dad and all of his troops show up, and it turns out that what's really happening is that the whole village and the dragon that protects them has been dedicated for eons to stopping a giant soul-sucking monster from a different dimension from getting out of this cave.
0: A tentacle dragon.
1: Yeah, and every now and again, the the tentacle dragon calls to someone with power— by promising them the thing they desire the most if they'll come and break the cave. So in this case, the tentacle dragon has been talking to their dad and saying, I'm your wife and I'm stuck in this cave. Come save me. And because of the ten rings, he actually has the power to break the cave open and get the tentacle dragon out. So the dragon's gift to the villagers is all sorts of magical armor and things like that. And so uh, there's quite a battle between the ten rings thugs and the villagers, Um, and of course, Sean and his father wind up pitted in battle against each other, uh, where Sean has to find his true identity in order to access his strength, acknowledging both the light and the dark inside of him. And he does this after his father nearly drowns him. He falls to the bottom of the water between the village and the cave, and the dragon wakes him up in there. And then when he comes out, he has the rest of his mother's powers as well and is able to successfully confront his father, winning the loyalty of the Ten Rings in the process. But alas, it is too late, and the tentacle dragon gets out of its cave. And um, fortunately, his father really respects Sean by the time the tentacle dragon eats his soul and then all the rings go to Sean and now he has the 10 rings and he is Shang-Chi with the 10 rings and he's also best friends with this protecting dragon now and so Sean and his sister and the protecting dragon take on the tentacle dragon and Katie with her new archery skills also helps by shooting the tentacle dragon in the exact right spot when it is trying to steal the soul of the other dragon and together uh, they overpower the tentacle dragon, culminating in Sean, sending the Ten Rings into its belly and then summoning them out in a way that explodes it all over the place. Uh, and so Sean and his sister and Katie and Trevor and Morris and their aunt, they all survive this big battle. They do cool fountain lan- cool lanterns that float away on the water uh, to... Commemorate all the people who died in the battle. I don't know what the purpose of the village is anymore because the tentacle dragon has been thwarted uh, and their own dragon seems to fly away like, you don't need me any anymore. So who knows what's going on with them from this time forward. Um, and then in the aftermath of this, uh, Sean and Katie return to San Francisco where they hang out with their high school friend and her husband again. And their high school friend had been giving them shit for not having progressed in life towards adulthood. And they're like, oh, since we had dinner last time, we saved the world. Let let us tell you this fantastical story. And she's like, you guys are just making fun of me. But then Wong shows up and invites Katie and um, Sean to walk through his mystic circle opening into uh, that house that he lives in with Doctor Strange in New York City, um, where uh, holograms of Dr. David Banner, Bruce Banner, <laughs> where Bruce Banner and um, Captain Marvel hologram are waiting to talk to them about the Ten Rings and what their origin is. Um, and the implication is that Wong has just recruited them to the Avengers Um and we find out from Sean that his sister is back at their father's compound, winding down his thousand years of warlording. But, ha, spoiler, Psych. it turns out she's taken it over, and now she's making an integrated boy-girl army. And yeah, um, now
0: they have cool graffiti.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of graffiti art, because girls rule. Um, like, girls spelled with a Z right there. At the end.
0: So what do you think of it?
1: I enjoyed this film, Tom. Um... You know, I think one of the things, one of the many things that I like about the MCU is that they create films about characters I have no familiarity with, and they cast and execute them well enough that by the end I'm like, I want to know what happens next with these people I had never thought of before. And, you know, I think this answered so many of the things that we've said in this podcast because although I don't think that it was at all clear in the marketing it's basically like Shang-chi and his father working out their issues and every other important character is a strong woman and the women wear flat shoes and fight well and you know they they're not over-glamorized and i felt really aware of how conservatively all the women were dressed in this film and that Sean and Katie's relationship has a hint of romance by the end, but it's a hint that comes out in, like, um, how clearly they're relieved that their best friend has not died in mm-hmm. in the conflict and the way that they embrace each other in the aftermath of battle, but just, like, an arm around it. And, um, right. like, a third of the movie, maybe a quarter of the movie is in Chinese with English subtitles. Um, and all of these things made me feel like this is made for an international audience. It is definitely made to play well in China because it lacks a lot of the Western sex stuff and the sexy glamazon hero girls that would be more American in the mm-hmm. styling. Um, you know, there are so few white people in the cast and, I I found it refreshing, in all of the ways that I was hoping this next phase and this film in particular would be, but also you know diverting in the way that I wanted it to be. I was happy to have my coke and some warm English popcorn and
0: <laughs>
1: watch this film in my luxury cinema. But you, I think, did not enjoy it as much as
0: I did. I'm wondering how much of it is like your uh I think it was your Suicide Squad. Viewing where you just didn't have great seats. Because I always like at a stadium theater to sit in the front row of the stadium section because you could put your feet up. But there's so little consistency in the size of those theaters that you don't know if there's going to be like three rows on the floor in front of you or five or six. So, like, I was in one of the smaller ones, so I was closer than I wanted to be. um And it was a full enough theater that I couldn't just, you know, comfortably. Uh, take a different seat but i don't know i felt like even even that stuff aside like because at that distance it felt like these are just this is shot too much in close up in the middle for these fight scenes um i'm not loving that but even setting that aside if that is something that would be resolved by a different viewing experience it just felt so overstuffed i mean i was uh, when i was looking at um you know, the, uh, the cast list and stuff. And I saw Dave Callahan as the writer. I was like, Oh, right. This fucking guy. He's <laughs> another guy like that, uh, David S. like, um, David S. Goyer and, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the other guy's name, but one of those guys whose name comes up in these things a lot and is always associated with someone else. So it's ne- it's rarely, if ever a singular writing credit, but, there's enough of a mix of like oh i kind of liked that one but oh that one sucks shit is it his fault is that one his fault is that one his fault There are enough of the enough questions on this guy's resume that i think i don't think he's helping if anything like uh he did the mortal combat mo- co-wrote the mortal combat movie that re- recently came out and sucks shit co-wrote wonder woman 1984 like uh, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of stinkers on this guy's um resume and i remember I don't know if it was when we were talking about Wonder Woman 1984 or um, it must have been that because like the other things <laughs> he did are like the Expendables movies and mm. the Zombieland sequels like shit we didn't watch. But uh, that I saw that he's also co-writing Spider-Verse 2, which he's co-writing with Lord and Miller. So it's like, oh, I trust those guys to do a good movie. But this guy's name is on so many stinkers that I don't know. And I think this movie has a lot of the problems that were present in Wonder Woman 84 and Mortal Kombat of just like unearned character arcs that are just kind of thrown out there at the end. Like, oh, this is what this was about, I guess. And also too much fucking lore, just like bullshit lore that is bu- like so much of this. I would say like 80 percent of this movie is people telling you backstories of shit. And it, it's just so overloaded with that. Like, it made me think about every other Marvel character's origin story and how it's just that. It's just like, here's, here's the start of this character and a, you know, a, a somewhat, you know, a conflict that isn't particularly gonna end the world or resonate throughout the rest of the, the MCU or whatever. It's just like, this is to get them on their feet. And this, it's like... His entire family story, his entire uh, cultural story, like an intergalactic, interdimensional story of these tentacle dragons. Like, it's 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 everything about him at once. And w- while you say, oh, "I'd like to see more from these characters," I'm like, "What more? What did they leave him? You know, these fucking rings. They're oh now the rings are transmitting a signal to space. Who to what? Another tentacle dragon. Who fucking cares? Like." Uh, that like his and his his dad was the coolest like the most interesting most compelling character and the meat cute fight between his parents the best scene and like both of those characters are gone you're not going to see any more from either of them and i don't know it was just like uh it felt uncertain in a way that like it you know it felt uncertain in a way that superhero movies used to feel like where it's like we're getting everything in this one because we don't know if there's going to be another, and it's like you do know you're. This is the MCU. There's gonna be another. You don't need to do, you know, every every you don't you don't need to do all of this in this movie. Like there's so much they could have done just focusing on the stuff with his dad, just focusing on the stuff with his mom's village. Like any one aspect of this uh, movie could have been the whole story, and instead, I feel like. They uh, just overclutter it with um, lore shit and then tell you there was a character arc at the end and a big dragon shows up and uh, they fight CG monsters, a, a horde of CG monsters, because you got to do that at the end.
1: Well, my expectation of anything that happens in the MCU is that whatever you're seeing is setting up something else that they have in mind. So clearly this was, let's get Shang-Chi into the Avengers for the thing that we've got planned that, you know, is the culmination of phase four. But, you know, looking back at Captain America's standalone films, so to speak, or Thor's standalone films, like, those are both characters that I liked better the minute they started interacting with the other Avengers. And so... You know, throwing these two into the mix and having... This is the first real film of Phase 4, right? Yeah.
0: No, that was Spider-Man.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, still, like, having people of color and a nice, strong female villain, a nice, strong female hero on their way into the world of the Avengers and already having met Captain Marvel Wong and Bruce Banner um i i feel like i'll be interested in seeing who they mix and match these characters with and Aquafina is a person i root for i am just delighted for her how her career in film has taken off you know like good for you Aquafina i mean for crying out loud in addition to joining the MCU, she's Scuttle in the live action Little Mermaid. I mean, mm. if she's making Disney bucks from two of their studios, she's doing fine. And I'm just so happy for her. Um, you know, I, I'll be interested to see how they mix and match them. And I, I don't know, like they've set us up for conflict with his sister when, you know, he figures out inevitably that she didn't shut down Dad's operations, but also, if I'm not mistaken, Macaw is where Agent Carter's niece was doing her illegal activities while she was mm. in hiding.
0: I can't remember actually.
1: <laughs> I th- I think I'm right. Um, and so the the those two women would have started their criminal empires in the same, you know, lawless kind of place. Like they they're bound to cross paths at some point or for us to discover that they have already done so and you know I think for the things that we've asked for over the course of all these episodes this movie delivered on a lot of those fronts we got unglamorous women in flat shoes kicking ass fighting on their own and People of color, not a bunch of smiling white people, and I I think that it was a satisfactory film. I'm I don't know that it's one that I'll rewatch on its own merit, but if they go someplace interesting and do mix and matches that I enjoy and, you know, just go someplace positive with these characters in this story, I could see revisiting it the way that I've revisited Captain America the First Avenger or Thor and the Dutch Angles um because of the subsequent films having made me want to rewatch the whole series from time to time
0: I do think all the stuff with his sister was really unintentionally funny where it's like she trained in in the sh- trained herself in the shadows because of her father's neglect and then they when they get to their mother's village and uh, Michelle Yeoh is like hey here's a cool dragon scale rope dart you you can be the hero too now I'm gonna go over here and tell your brother how this is actually all about him getting those ten rings and uh, balancing the light and dark. Because like just the the immediate immediate like not even not even leaving the sister out of the scene where she turns to to, to Shang Chi is like, hey, this is about you, dude. Like <laughs> like like when we had two kids, what why is it all Shang Chi's responsibility to to? You know, undo to balance the light and dark, and to 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 take the rings and stuff. Like it's uh, it it was just very very funny to basically lay that out for him in front of her immediately after this. Like, hey, you're not in the shadows anymore. And then uh, for to also be like, ah, yeah, your problem has been um that like you aren't balancing your mother and father's influence. And it's like, is that the problem? Was Was that apparent at any point prior? Did he have a problem at any point prior in the movie? Seemed like he was... uh, Seemed seemed like he was doing fine. Never got his ass kicked or anything.
1: Well, what I forgot to say in the recap is that he does reveal ultimately to Katie that when his father tasked him with assassinating somebody when he was 14... It was the person responsible for his mother's death, and he did go through with it. And that's when he freaked out was after he had assassinated somebody. Right. And has been carrying that secret around. And so I thought that they set that up satisfactorily, that, like...
0: Like, they set up that there is is a darkness, but it doesn't seem like that, like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like that much of a burden for him. And also, the discovery of the light isn't, like... It's it's kind of it just just kind of happens just like, you know, there's there's no real arc there. It's just like, here's a thing. There's a thing.
1: Well, I, I, I felt it like it seemed like in the wake of his mother's death, his father spent the next seven years training him to be an assassin. And not not giving him a lot of context for what was going on, like he knew all that stuff about his dad, but it didn't seem like lore and tradition was part of what was going on. It seemed like it was fight training and mission orientation. And, you know, likewise with his mom, you know, it seemed like the amount of information they had about her upbringing was fairy story level, like that they hadn't taken it Mm -hmm. that seriously. And so I, I kind of felt like this was, you know, pretty, pretty thinly veiled commentary on, the immigrant experience for a lot of first generation kids whose parents have chosen to assimilate to a way of life for the sake of their family and the kids are missing part of their identity as a result of that assimilation and then in this case you know you see the Aquafina version with her family where uh she's so american and her grandma is so chinese that she's still taking things on the day of the dead to her uh late husband's shrine and leaving or grave and leaving like cigarettes and whiskey for him that disappear because uh mm-hmm. probably teens take them but you know that they're both american but not american and in shang chi's case you know he his americanness has been more of like a put-on, that it's like an identity he selected to hide in and not something that his parents chose for him. His parents chose the little, you know, happy family in the former military compound, having movie nights and doing Tai Chi and whatnot, um, without giving the kids a clear sense of the value of either side of what their parents had gone through first and probably, I mean, I think that it suggested that their parents didn't think that their clock was ticking on, you know, raising their children to be something. They were both little kids when all of that went down. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, in the aftermath, uh, his father's military ways were ingrained into him, but his mother's lightness was not. And so I could sort of see like that he'd been hiding from becoming like his father for all of his adult life, and that um, until he went to the village, he hadn't actually explored any of the anything to do with his mom because he didn't know very much about it, and that I, I do think that it was a bit rushed to say you have to look at this dark bit. Like I think I think the rushed bit was assuming that he had much knowledge of the light bit, um, but still, I I just. I enjoyed myself. I had a better seat than you, I guess. And, you know, especially... Is it Michelle Yeoh? Is that... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So seeing Michelle Yeoh fighting in the bamboo again, you know, how old were you when I took you to see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Like, that was t- that um, movie 12. came out 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that... I I liked little nods to things that you could appreciate. And you having introduced me to more... Um, of that, like w- some of those other martial arts films that you chose during um, our phase two viewing for our podcast, mm-hmm. you know, it it gave me an appreciation of more of the things that were in this. You know, it's sort of like I had, because because there's we grew up someplace with such a large Asian community, not like I feel like I'm part of it in any way, but it doesn't feel... It feels familiar to me to to sit through a film that is about something other than myself and it's that, but it's a similar feeling to what I had with um, Black Panther of like a lot of the things that are happening here are not for me and that is cool, you know, that this that a lot of the things that are happening in this film were chosen not for a white American audience, um but for an asian american audience or an international audience and and i appreciated the moments where i felt like oh this is something that someone else is going to feel seen because they're seeing it and that's awesome that you know this mainstream thing would be accessible in a broader sense
0: yeah i appreciate that but also it it is sort of the uh mst3k thing of don't remind me of a better movie in your movie where like oh like you know like a lot of the nods to other like i like that that scene where his parents meet i think that's really great i wish more of the movie was like that mm-hmm. i wish more of the movie was like people fighting like for being about the uh, master of kung fu the fights between people are so brief and they're so quick to get to like let's get these fucking dragons going at it and like, nah. I wanted to see him fight fight his dad more. I wanted to see Michelle Yeoh fight more. I don't want to see a bunch of people shooting arrows into the sky at little tentacle freaks like um, it it. I I wanted one more fucking kung fu move, kung fu fights from the kung fu movie, and uh, especially like the the bow guy um. Guangbo, the the Master of the Bows, he is in Kung Fu Hustle, and I think we're gonna wind up watching that movie, because that movie is fucking great. Kept thinking about that, kept thinking about like, um, even Crouching Tiger, but like, there's a lot, you know, Crouching Tiger was in that era of like, this is like, elevated wuxia, this is like, uh, Yemo Zhang had a bunch of movies in that era, like Hero and House of Flying Daggers, where it's like, yeah, it's wuxia, but it's also like, for smart people, and it's like, yeah, it's great, but I preferred the sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, which was made for Netflix, and I think Michelle Yeoh was the only one from the original cast who came back, and instead of being about um, all of these fraught relationships and class dynamics, it's about gimmick kung fu and a magic sword, which is what I want to see, and, <laughs> and I would like to see more gimmick kung fu. I like when a guy says, I've mastered the iron body t- technique, so that my skin is impervious to bullets, and I'm not good at anything else, but I can do that and like that kind of shit. Where it's someone who has mastered one stupid thing that makes them good at doing one stupid fight. And uh, I wish, I wish there was less, less dragons, less big dragons and CG stuff. It was just, it was a bummer to see this movie end the same way so many of these fucking movies end, where it's like we gotta fight the big swarm of CG things.
1: Well, I guess I, this movie answered a lot of the things that we've asked for, but not Tom's desire for more practical effects. And I do think that this would be a good example. I don't of mean, film. like that.
0: That was something that I was impressed by. Like I didn't even care. Like this, all the stuff with one move, the rings. Like all the stuff he did with the rings, the fighting stuff with the rings. I thought in general was really cool, and I wanted to see more of that. Like when he puts all ten rings on one arm to punch the wall really hard. I was like, that's sick. I wish he was doing that in a fight instead of so much of his climax of this movie being punching a fucking wall. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I don't know. They had to get those tentacle freaks out there.
1: But I think, like, if the soul sucker had turned out to be something like those three levitating guys in the big hats from Big Trouble in Little China and the dragon that protects the village had had more of a form, like... Uh, the live action Mulan's quote unquote villain who's a shapeshifter and turns into a bird sometimes, like a woman with really cool makeup who emerges well, that's, from that's, the water. That's a, like...
0: a funny thing you, to bring up is the uh, Big Trouble Little China, because that's basically Lopan's deal. You know, you can have a person be the soul sucker mm-hmm. and then maybe transforms into a dragon or something, but for it to just be a dragon fighting a dragon and then all these weird little tentacle guys it was it felt very video gamey and like i ah, shoot the dragon's weak point weak point before its soul gauge fills up mm-hmm. like uh i don't know i and then also for for uh shang chi just fucking obliterate it with the rings like putting it in a blender like literally blowing it to pieces felt like, wow, you (laughs) could, that was possible. (laughs) Like, like they lost to this dragon the first time when you can just blow it up.
1: Well, what I, what I think a moment like that is because, yeah, I, I'd rather see human faces in the critical moments than CG. Uh, but I think there definitely were moments like, you know, when, when they first arrive in Avatar or I'm sorry, what was the name of the village? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh man No, i'm not gonna remember
1: it's avatar like when pandora. they first yeah pandora uh, when they first drive in pandora and they see all of the magical creatures like there's just this very long sequence of everybody driving through um, you know what it reminds me of? Welcome like,
0: to Jurassic Park.
1: Oh, no, I was going to say, like, when the Smurfs first go through the wall on their way to the, the secret village. <laughs> it's the exact <laughs> same really, kind of stuff. Oh, oh, from
0: the
1: yes, you have. You've like, seen that watched, over oh, wait, and no, over. <laughs> I've,
0: I've, seen, I've seen that part of that movie. Yes. At
1: least. Um, so, you know, like, it, it seems like somebody had a blank check and i feel like the biggest underline to somebody had a blank check was the repeated use of hotel california because licensing uh-huh. music from the eagles is notoriously difficult and expensive huh. and you know in thor ragnarok when they had uh the led zeppelin that the
0: immigrant song
1: that was so perfect for the moment that like you know i i think that was an artistic choice somebody was like you know what song goes with Thor riding a fucking yeah. fire dragon? It's Led Zeppelin. and Hammer
0: of the Gods.
1: Yes. However, I think in this one they were like, dude, if we could get Zeppelin, I bet we could get the Eagles. How about if they just shout the lyrics to Hotel California sometimes, mm-hmm. but then finish it off with karaoke. They get to go to the karaoke place and they do Hotel California. I'd
0: be so boss. Mm-hmm. And expensive, yeah, but we've that. got a really, blank check. I really don't like that song.
1: Well, but I mean, like, these guys are supposed to be 25 in the current day.
0: The ironic song... Is that the song for them? Yeah, Well, if they were going to sing a like, classic rock song, ironically, it would be Don't Stop Believin'. It would be like what? That's, don't Stop believing. I feel like that's the go-to.
1: Yeah, I feel like... There were some choices, and I, I'll I'll agree with you that Dragon Fight can go in this box where it was like a blank check choice rather than a carefully considered artistic choice.
0: Well, with the, with the dragon stuff, I feel like it's just sort of part of the blueprint of Marvel movies where it's like, this is the part we can bake on a render farm a year before filming starts, you know, mm. like... This this is the part that's going to be... Write a movie around it, you know? Like, like you know, this is the part that <laughs> doesn't require union work and that uh, we can do in advance before we've cast anyone or hired a director or anything. So, mm-hmm. like, make it work. And uh, it, it feels like that. Like, it doesn't... It, it doesn't mesh. Also, we barely touched on Ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. And there is just an alarming amount of ben kingsley in this movie (laughs) oh not for me it turns out that
1: if you start the run p app at the beginning of this film (laughs) ben kingsley's big moments correspond almost exactly with the recommended toilet breaks so i didn't see any of the bamboo trip with him talking in the car
0: oh my well even even without that I mean that included, but like I sent Alex to the bathroom him, during
1: the next one.
0: <laughs> that's it. when they introduce him. It's just like ten solid minutes of him just kind of fucking around. Like this is this isn't this doesn't really mean anything. It's just Ben Kingsley kind of kind of just having having a day, you know, not not really forwarding the plot any. Uh, kind of telling you stuff you already know. Not really telling jokes or anything. Just kind of just kind of chit chatting. And they just that's most of his scenes is just. Just Ben Kingsley just kind of talking about stuff, <laughs> and they let him do it a lot. It's very very odd. Odd to bring him back at all, because it's like, oh, you're going to, you know, you want to make a joke about um, your depiction of the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. Fine. But uh, they, uh, they lean into it in a very unexpected and unnecessary way.
1: Hmm. Well, I... Felt very neutrally about him being there. I got a kick out of him. But also, uh, yeah, they served me that 44-ounce Coke when I went up to the refreshment stand. It was not a size they had the last time I had been to this cinema. Last time I ordered a large, it was 32 ounces because England. Honestly, like, that's huge for here. Um and so as soon as they handed me that 44-ouncer, I was like, I am going to keep this because I do want to fill it with ice and have like an American amount of ice in my drink huh. for once. Um, but I kind of had to pee when I sat down in the theater and I, mm. I didn't want to go just then. Like I I just did not want to, you know, go through the shuffle of moving past people or anything. And I was like, oh, I am going to activate the Run Pee app, which I haven't used since Endgame. Uh, but for this film, because I felt not that invested, like whatever happened was fine with me as long as it didn't suck. And, uh, I thought this will be good. And so I didn't need to go by the time the first alert came, uh, but the second alert came just as Ben Kingsley was starting to regale them with the story of how seeing Planet of the Apes convinced him to become an actor and they drove into the bamboo forest and I walked into the restroom and so, yeah, I saw less of Ben Kingsley, but also returned to my seat feeling confident that I had not missed anything important in the film. Thank you, Run P app.
0: Yeah, no, that whole scene was just um, the the butt with wings telling them when to turn left or right and Ben Kingsley translating for it.
1: Yeah, that app is great.
0: Oh, that was something. OK, and this is one of the final things I want to harp on is the mom's death. Mm. Uh, I really didn't like that. I didn't like. The weird implication that like uh when they got married, my dad put the rings in a box and my mom gave up her magic uh or something like like when she goes out to fight, he's like, mom, you don't have your powers. And it's like what fucking powers? Like at no other point is it suggested like ah oh, you got to be in this other dimension to have these kung fu powers. Good luck when you leave Shang Chi, you're gonna you know all of this was for nothing. Um like one. Why would she be any less good at fighting now? And two, we don't get to see the fight at all. It's just, uh, she goes out, and then her blemished, unblemished body is dead on the ground as the dad comes home. And Shang-Chi's crying over her. And uh, I think it does a great disservice to her to have her not go down in a blaze of glory. Like, should have seen her f- at least start that fight, if not... Do the fight and lose it uh, against terrible odds, and then you know that would be a a tra- You know ser- that would have served the movie a lot better than Ben Kingsley telling you the plot of Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. Also, Michelle Yeoh was uh, underutilized. Like uh, I was psyched to see that she was going to be in this, and then she's basically just there for that one little training sequence with uh, Shang Chi, and then I actually was.
1: I was surprised by the sister going off to take over the dad's empire. I thought she was going to stay behind in the village and help them rebuild and sort of I don't know. take, take keeps, a position of leadership there first.
0: Yeah,
1: I agree. But I think, like, there were things for her to learn there from this strong auntie and a conflict between the two of them when she turned out to want to be uh, power hungry and and all of that. Like, that could have mm-hmm. been... The yeah. next movie that could have started it off, but her just like skipping right past a right. deeper relationship with Michelle Yeoh and being like, All yeah, right, I don't know. and I
0: then don't. also ending it with like the Ten Rings will return. It's like, I mean, yeah. kind of, I get like that's what know. we were that's, expecting. That's a, it's an odd promise to make when it's like, Yes, that seems obvious. She doesn't have the Ten Rings, so is it really the Ten Rings? And this seems like a TV thing more than a movie thing.
1: So, Tom, the next film is The Eternals. I know that you are not stoked about that. You're not really looking forward to it. Um, but I would ask, like, having... Actually,
0: Leona, the next film is Venom.
1: No no, 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 <laughs> no. The next MCU <laughs> film. Dude, did you hear that they've moved up the release date on Venom to my birthday? Now oh, I no. have to see that shit show on my birthday. <laughs> That just became my birthday plan today. <laughs> Ugh. Awesome! What did you do for your well, birthday? We moved back,
0: Jackass Two, so gotta see something in October. Mm. Right Not Jackass, Jackass Four.
1: God. Okay. Anyway, the next MCU film is The Eternals. Uh, I'm assuming that, like me, you saw a trailer for it before this film. So, yeah, it still looks like shit. Now that you've seen this film. And know that that's the next one you're gonna see. Is there anything you hope for from the Eternals that they could do that would improve on what you just experienced, or you know, are you just like planning to grit your teeth and wait? wait I don't know through it that looks film?
0: like everything about it looks like, hey, don't worry, we're not even gonna suggest there's any of the good stuff in this one. <laughs> We're just doing the overloaded timeline, overloaded cast, CG monsters. Get on board. Like, I simply cannot imagine that movie being good or those characters being compelling. They got, they got the boring guys from Game of Thrones to be in that movie. Like, come on, man. That's what you're gonna sell this on. Like, supposedly Angelina Jolie and uh, uh, Selma Hayek are in it too, but I don't see much of them in the trailers. Like. It's, it sure seems like it's a lot of that Rob Stark guy, and goddamn, is, is that not gonna put butts in seats? I don't know. It it, it seems it's also uh, the one thing I do think is funny from those trailers is uh, when Kumail goes into like superhero power mode and he shoots finger lasers out of his finger guns. Like the suggestion that that's his power is that he has finger guns, and it's like that's that's what he got super juiced for, like super steroid dude buff to be the guy who shoots finger guns is uh, i'm hoping that's what it is because that that is extremely funny like that
1: <laughs> that would answer exactly one of the things that you asked for during this podcast is uh for some fighter to have mastered one stupid thing so if finger lasers I mean, is I his guess, thing except
0: for it seems it seems extremely extraneous to be a huge buff guy If that's what your, your, your talent is, is shooting finger lasers.
1: Well, I guess we'll find out in November. uh,
0: We'll see how it pays off. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't, it, it looks bad. I don't, I don't think it's going to be good. And it's also them like, like uh, the, the main thing I'm curious about at this point is, uh, I'm hoping Taika Waititi has uh, kept it together. Um, his, uh, Rumored three-way relationship with uh, Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson. I hope that's not taking too much of his time uh, to make a good movie out of Thor Love and Thunder. And Doctor Strange. I hope, like, I, after seeing this, I'm super curious if Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness will feel like a Sam Raimi movie. Because if you go back to those Spider-Man movies, even though they are superhero movies... The way the action is staged and shot feels very distinct to his style. And that's something that I think gets washed out in so many of these Marvel movies where, like we were talking about with the climax of like so much of this stuff is pre-baked CG from a render farm in Australia. That like, how much control does he have over that stuff? Will... Will it feel like a Marvel movie, or will it feel like a Sam Raimi movie? Is it possible for a director with a you know tangible style and career to work in this mold, or are are is, it, is that you know is it just going to be more people who have done one or two indie features before they uh, get slotted into these roles forever?
1: Well, I have high hopes for it. I think the fact that everything we've heard about it thus far classifies it as horror or in that direction, um, and the fact that it's Sam Raimi and Danny Elf been working together again, um, you know, I think it's got potential, but let's see. You know, thinking about the casting for The Eternals and it being what I would call distracting casting, I think a lot of what a lot of the things that we've expressed irritation with in the current iteration of the MCU is just that like casting established actors who are a distraction and probably quite expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like the whole franchise starting with a redemption role for Uh, Robert Downey Jr. And no confidence about whether or not he was going to keep his shit together Mm -hmm. and, you know, if this thing was going to go. And, uh, you know, casting a nobody like Tom Holland and, you know, they've made a lot of choices over the course of the MCU so far that have been interesting. Like, who was Chris Evans to us before Thor? Who was... Who who was anyone named Chris to us before the MCU, uh, aside from the other Chris, the one who hasn't been in them yet, you know? There's There's a lot of people whose careers have been leveled up or established by these films so far, and, you know, casting Selma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, the Stark brothers, Owen Wilson... You know, there's there's a lot of casting in this current this current phase that feels a bit distracting to me. Um, I I really really like Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider movies, and yet have doubts that I'm gonna like her in that. And I love Salma Hayek, and have doubts that I'm gonna like her in that. Yeah, I, it, it just it's seems... so weird. I love non Nanjani. I have doubts that I'm gonna like him in this. It's so weird.
0: Yeah. It, it it just seems like it's going to be dull and yes. ev- like everything about it the premise uh, the visuals the dialogue in the trailers it all seems like who who's this for
1: well um, we'll see
0: oh uh one one final thing about uh shang chi in that ending sequ- er, scene where he's talking to the holograms of um bruce banner and uh captain marvel uh, it was weird that Bruce Banner was in human form.
1: Oh uh, yeah, not, because um, he had chosen that sort Hulk of hybrid, hybrid Hulk.
0: Yeah. It made me wonder, um, is this budget thing for this scene of like, we're not going to render the Hulk for a minute of dialogue in the post credits, or is it an indication of things to come in She-Hulk of, we're not going to render uh, Hulk for six to ten episodes or whatever and he is going to be in that show in some some capacity, so we gotta figure out a way to beat him be human again. Well,
1: I mean, if he has control over the Hulk now, however, has lost that arm to the snap...
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he was still wearing the sling.
1: Yeah, then you know, maybe there was a point at which he thought, why am I... Why am I so much bigger than all these other people that I can't buy normal clothes or fit through doors really? if I'm not using the Hulk's capacity yeah. anymore? I ah, don't Interesting.
0: you have any final thoughts?
1: No, I think I've said all of them already.
0: Well, join us next time when we will be jumping off of Loki and watching Bill and Ted face the music. Bye! Bye.